Now, whatever you were thinking this morning, you probably didn't see this coming because we're in week four of the Faith Catalyst series, which is super awesome and you're so excited. Um, So now we're in the middle, and if you're just joining us, that's totally okay. If you've missed a week or two, it is always possible to go into one.ca, look at the message archive, and you can can catch up on any episodes that you've missed of this series, but you can also go back and check out some of the other stuff that uh, we've done in the past, and it's all free, which is great because we all love free. Free is a great thing, so you can catch up and can follow along like that. Today, I'm going to tell you about a word. Uh, It's a word that gets some bad press. It's a D word, and that word is discipline. Discipline. Non-dictionary definition. Things you're supposed to do, but you don't want to do, right? Get up earlier, go to bed earlier, organize your stuff, eat more healthy, manage your finances, walk more, save more, get out of debt, quantity time with your children one-on-one, find time for yourself, read a good book, and the list goes on and on and on. If uh, I bet that in your own head, you probably came up with at least five more things that you could add that I didn't mention. And no matter how disciplined you are, if we just keep talking about this, we could all just keep pushing the envelope, adding one more thing in there so that we could all leave this morning with a great big box of guilt. But as you know, at Into One, we are not here to should all over you. We are all about eyes up, pointing ourselves in the right direction so that together we might be on this road trip in earnest pursuit of Christ. And when you meet people who are more disciplined than you, on one hand, you're inspired. Maybe I could. And on the other hand, you kind of want them to have a terrible accident. But here's, here's something that you know already, right? You have learned this before in your past. There, there are so many things that begin as disciplines that over time grow into habits. They, they might even grow into hobbies. When, when I first got my braces... I got the scare talk from the orthodontist. If you've had braces, maybe you had this talk as well. Don't brush your teeth and you will turn into a hideous creature shunned by all of society. And so I brushed my teeth all the time. Uh, I even took a toothbrush with me to school so that I could brush my teeth in a water fountain. Yes, you're right. I was a very cool kid with my braces and my headgear brushing my teeth in the water fountain in the hallway. Somehow, I'm still alive to tell you about it. And so now, the truth is, I actually enjoy brushing my teeth. Uh, I love those moments that you can even anticipate them when your mouth is going to feel clean and and smooth and it's going to be nice. Now, my kids, they have not all yet moved into that step yet. And I Sure that there are times when they think to themselves that I'm asking them to, in fact, brush off all happiness and all childlike wonder from their lives. The discipline of uh, brushing teeth actually became a pleasure that I can say I honestly anticipate. And many things can begin as kind of a gutting it out, uh, grow then into a lifestyle. So here's another thing that you might recognize. Whenever we apply discipline, we experience progress. So if you're a parent, you see this. If you're a teacher, you can see this. If you're a coach, 
you can see this as well. If you apply discipline, you experience progress even if you begin with a bad attitude. No desire, just sheer force of will, discipline, and it can have a positive impact. Discipline frequently leads to freedom. So discipline with your finances leads to freedom later on. Discipline is basically doing now, <laughs> not doing now what you want to do so that you can do what you want to do later. Discipline is all about delayed gratification. Instead of gratifying myself a little bit right now, I will be gratified by something better later. And the reason that we're talking about discipline, the reason this comes up is because we're in the middle of a series where we are looking at five things that God uses to grow your faith. And if you want your faith to grow, it's important to know these things are around. So we have already been talking. We talked about practical teaching. And uh, last time we talked about providential relationships. This episode, we're going to be talking about private disciplines. Still to come the next couple of weeks, we've got personal ministry. And then finally, pivotal circumstances. Today, private disciplines. When you hear stories uh, of people who are looking back on faith and, and, and how it's grown in their lives, uh, the faith that has grown up and, and gotten big, they remember the before and they are experiencing now, before and the now, and they tend to speak about learning to pray. Uh, they, they, people will mention that uh, what it was like when they began to have a quiet time or when they would start to do devos or setting aside that time, focusing on God, and they participated in doing devotions. These are different words that we have used or phrases that we use to describe this process. They learn to make a decision to carve out a section of time in their day. They book an appointment with God, and then they keep it. They eventually deal with money. There is the, the generosity side of money, there's the wisdom side of money, and then there's the discipline side of money. And the discipline is the application of the wisdom and the generosity. This is an act of trust, of faith, of, of confidence in the ongoing presence and provision of God. And so for, for most people, regular giving begins as a, as a gut-wrenching, nerve-wracking, fear-inducing discipline. There was no onset cheerful giving. It was because I'm supposed to, right? But when you talk to people about their journey of faith, and they're, and they're farther on that journey, you're, you're going to hear stories that, that speak more about peace, far more than fear, Permit, provision, far more than want. What you can't see from the outside, you can only see from the inside, and your insides, and not someone else's. You will learn how faith intersects finances. And the interesting thing uh, about what Jesus says about these private disciplines is that it has way more to do with our faith than how it benefits anybody or anything else. So when I'm thinking about my prayer life, I'm thinking, God, why don't you answer my prayer? God, do this for them. God, do that for her. And Well, that's part of prayer. But that's not the kind of prayer that we're talking about. When it comes to giving, if you're in the average category, and I mean the average kind of person, not to do with wealth, um, we basically run on trigger responses. I see a need. Boom! I'll shoot that need. 
I can do that. I will give there. You show me the need, I'll take care of the need right there. I get that. I don't see a need, I'm not going to give. This isn't about that part either. This part isn't about helping anybody else. This is about looking at a very specific discipline through the lens of what it does in you and what it does for your faith. Now, obviously it's bigger than that, and there's all those other contexts as well, but that's just not what we're focusing on today. There is the faith-building element when it comes to devotional life, when it comes to these often overlooked pursuits. So the pursuit and the practice of private disciplines, they're a huge part of building faith. If these are not part of your lifestyle, if these are not any of your disciplines that you have developed, I can guarantee you that you are sitting around people that will tell you it began as a discipline, and now it's a lifestyle. It began as a discipline, and and then I stopped. Then I started again because I could sense the difference. I could sense the lack in my life when I discontinued the discipline. It's not hard anymore. It's just, it's just better. I'm better. My family's better. My relationships are better when I'm in full-on, earnest, disciplined pursuit of Jesus. So I'm aware that there are those of you out there who are arguing with me in your head. Uh, you're pushing back. You disagree. It's not always the same. That's okay. Go ahead. Think. That's how we're going to move from the stuff uh, being stuff that I just say, we're going to move over to the, the idea where, where I get the stuff that I say. So we're going to look at Scripture. Uh, and, and when I do that, you can, now, <laughs> you can now argue with Jesus instead of arguing with me, okay? So that's what we're going to do. If you find yourself resisting, if you, you want to pay attention to that, why? Why is there resistance? What are you resisting? Because faith is like a muscle. And the more you exercise it, the more it grows. God will bring you to places where you might, you might just exhaust your faith. It's gone. You've run out. God will be stretching your faith. And God brings you there to build you up and to build your faith up. And these private, personal, spiritual disciplines are a part of that. They are preparation and they are training. And unlike some of the other faith catalysts that we're going to talk about, this is an area where your choice does matter. You can choose to engage and to be involved. So let's go on. We're going to see what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness. And this is Jesus' way of saying private disciplines. This is the idea I was referencing last episode. If you can remember, you remember when I was telling you the story about fasting and praying that I was doing? Remember that? No? Great. Uh, So you can go back and listen to that and you can remember that and you can see how this relates. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So Jesus kind of just grabs your arm and he pulls you off to the side a little bit. He says, uh, hey, these are some private things for you to work on, okay? There, there, there might be a public element to some of them, but what we're really looking at is the private element in them. So if you do these things privately and consistently, your heavenly Father is going to see this. And then he is going to reward you. Verse 2. So when you give to the needy, he's talking about uh, what you do privately, all right? And he is talking about money. 
And he is talking specifically of what was called in that time almsgiving. The poor, the lame, the injured, the widows, the orphans, the blind would all line up outside of the temple. They would line up outside of the synagogue. And as you went in, they would be hands out, begging. Knowing this, people would come prepared to share out of the mercy, generosity, and tenderness of their hearts to give money to these poor people. It it wasn't an ordered or a systematized kind of thing. There were no tax benefits for these gifts. And this was not the tithe, okay? Devout Jewish people, wherever they were in the world, would set aside money and send it to the temple to support the temple and to support the priests. The money that was given to help, the almsgiving, was above and beyond that. So in the first century, a devout Jew was already giving between 10 and 20% of their pay to honor God by giving it to the temple. And that kind of felt, you know, a bit like a tax, right? But it wasn't the law. It was just generally expected. So they are already giving a big chunk to keep the temple going. This that Jesus is referring to, this almsgiving, is in addition to that. So when you are going, when you decide to give, do not announce it with trumpets or as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and out on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. The reward that they have received in full is that they have been honored by men, by the people around them, right? Verse 3, but when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In this context, Jesus doesn't tell us what the reward is. But in other places, he he gives us context to help us figure it out. From, From the context that we're in right here, we could guess that part of the reward is honor, right? Just like the other men were honored by other men because of what they gave. So so here's the implication. When your heavenly Father sees you give, He's going to honor you. But whatever the reward is, Jesus says that there will be a reward. It's not a reward that we choose. There's no gift catalog that you go through. Oh, I'd really like the pen. Give me the pen. But, But there's this reward that you privately, when you privately give. And as you privately fund the thing that is close to God's heart, it sets up this relationship. So remember, this is about faith and not about finance. This isn't about meeting the needs of the poor. There are other passages about that. This this passage isn't against that. It doesn't say it's a bad idea. It's just not specifically referring to the idea of giving to the poor. This is about you and God and faith and reward. What if? You really believe those words of Jesus. What if you really believe that your heavenly father saw your private financial generosity and decided to honor and reward you because of it? Am I saying that you should give so that you would be rewarded? No, absolutely not. I didn't bring that up. Jesus brought it up. What if you really believe that? What if we really believe 
that, that Jesus saw how much and, 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 and when you gave and, and where you give and how that impacted your whole financial situation. What if we really believe that? Because I would just argue that perhaps one of the reasons that we struggle with generosity is that you do not, that we do not really believe that God will honor you. The issue is not strictly financial. The issue is your faith. It's your confidence in God. And so if you read the New Testament and you took out all the money passages and you condense them down, what you will find is that money is almost always a faith. It's a, it's a believe in God issue because God doesn't need your money. You're going to leave it all behind when you leave earth. And here's why the private discipline of giving is such a faith thing. You just talk to, to mature Christians, okay? And you ask them about this whole relationship, the money and the God thing. How does it come together? And the reason that it's such a faith issue is this. All of you, whether, whether, you are, uh, whether you're Christian or whether you're, you're Jewish or Muslim or New Age, and anybody, it, it doesn't matter what your background is. Here's something we all have in common. When it comes to God or the force or the universe or how, whatever is out there, However you believe it happens. I believe in a personal God. But let, let, let's just be on the same page for a minute here. When it comes to that, here's where we all practice perfect faith. We are all trusting God. He, she, it, whatever you believe. Right now, we are completely trusting God for everything that happens right now after we breathe our last breath. Take me to heaven, Lord. My eternity's in your hands. I will become one with the universe. How, however you picture your eternity, you are counting on and trusting God 100% from the moment that you breathe your last and onwards. And the reason that you're completely trusting God for that is because you don't have any choice, <laughs> right? It's not a faith thing at all. You can't do anything about it. That's an I can't do anything about it kind of thing. Now, here's what Jesus teaches. Understanding the way we think the way that we are. From your last breath back to now, what you, what I tend to trust in most is your money. When you are trusting, what you're trusting in most is your ability to control your own circumstances through your wealth and through the pursuit of wealth. And what that means is this. If the God who controls that eternity that you can't do anything about anyway is a personal God, which is what we at Into One believe, we believe that is what Jesus taught, and we believe that's why he taught us to pray to God saying, Heavenly Father. If that God wants you to grow in your faith in Him right now, it doesn't, doesn't it make sense that He would want to mess with whatever it is that you trust in more than Him right now? To get you to trust Him more right now. Jesus says that's why you can't serve both God and money. Because it's a trust issue. Because your wealth and your money and your pursuit of money and your worry about money, your anxiety about money does more to compete with our devotion to God than anything else. We live as if money is 
life. We live as if money is air. This is what I need. And Jesus taught us all about this, right? He goes, we worry more about money than anything else. It's like the, it's like the foundation of our confidence. That's what we put everything in. With this, everything will be okay. And that's, that's just a human reality, right? It's not a spiritual kind of thing. But then Jesus comes along and he says, you know what? I'm going to teach you to trust me in this life. Sure, you can trust me for the life to come, right? But honestly, what choice do you have? You can't do anything about that one. I want to teach you to trust me now. So I think I'll mess with the thing that you trust most, your wealth, your money, your pursuit of wealth, your, your desire for wealth, your anxiety about having enough wealth. So Jesus says, here's what I'm going to do. I want you to trust me. So I want you to give some of that. No, no, but I don't have enough. I want you to trust me. But God, come on, the church doesn't even need my money. I want you to trust me. This is, this is not about meeting needs. This is about your heart. I want you to trust me. Because if what you trust most is your wealth, and I want your trust, then the only way to exchange what you are holding onto is for you to let go of something in your hand to use that hand to hold on to me. You need to begin to let go of something you trust now, your wealth, to free up your dependence, to begin to move to trusting me. And that's why money is a faith thing and not just a personal financial thing. If you want big faith, if, right, if that's what you want, if you want a deeper connection, if you want a better relationship with God, then you must begin the practice, the discipline of letting go of your trust in money so that you can pick up the discipline of hanging on to God first. He's not going to let you fall. You are safer holding on to God than you are holding on to wealth. Wealth will let you down. Jesus will not. And this is not because God needs your money. He doesn't. This is not even because he wants it. It's because he wants you. All of you. All of you. He wants you to trust him. Trusting in him brings about your greatest freedom. This is uh, why one of the faith catalysts that you can actually touch, that you, what you choose here matters. This is why learning to be a percentage priority giver helps to install a God-first mentality in living. We've talked about this before. Wise money management looks like this. Give, save, live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. You give first. You give a percentage, and it's just gone, right? And that's our way of saying, God, I am more invested in your kingdom than mine. By doing that, I am trusting you more than I am trusting myself and my wealth. It's a faith issue. It's a heart issue, and it's hard. It's a private discipline that will help you to grow great big faith. But why does it become so emotional? Why is there so much pushback? Why do we want to disagree? Because you trust it. 
You believe that it's your security. You've been practicing it for your whole life. Why should we be emotional about a bunch of pieces of paper or some numbers on a screen? Why should it be so emotional? It's because of what it represents. And Jesus knows you. He says, I, 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 I know what it represents to you. Right now, it is holding the role that I want to have in your life. I want to be the conscious source of your security. I want to be your source of trust and of hope. I want to be the guiding force in setting your weekly agenda. I want you to plan around me and to purpose your life around me and you can depend on me. Because it's not about money. It's about faith. The tension you feel about this, the, the angst that's inside you, it's an issue of faith. It's not about greed. It's not about compassion. The question is, can God be trusted with what I value, with, with what I need to survive? Will God take care of me if I don't put him first? Even as you uncheerfully give, you begin to transfer your trust from your wealth to your heavenly Father. And Jesus understands all of what is going on in there, in here, right? And he promises that our heavenly Father sees the whole package of what's going on there, and he will reward you for that. So Jesus continues, verse 5, he says, and when you pray, so now Jesus is hitting our next important thing. He's going to talk about time. So we, we, we say with your, uh, you need to be generous with your time, treasure, and talent. So here we go. The first thing we talk about was treasure. Now we're going to look into a little bit into the time thing. All this religious stuff, it takes time, right? What do I have to show for all that time I spent in prayer? Verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like hypocrites, like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the city streets, seen by others. And truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, Jesus connects praying with rewards. But verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Of course, you're going to pray other places, right? As you're going, wherever you're going, somewhere, there's something, there's still live action prayer, right? Those sorts of things still happen. When, when something comes up, where you are, you pray. But he's talking about taking a block of time and setting it aside, setting it apart, putting it on the calendar. Take some of your most valuable asset, your time. We will run out of money. We will run out of time before we run out of money. Take some of your most valuable asset and devote it to me. But God, do you have any idea how busy I am? He goes, yes. God knows how busy you are. Take your time and give some to God. Go pray. Go close the door. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. God sees you when you pray. God hears you when you pray. When you do that, he will reward you. There is something honoring to God when you take a slot of your busy schedule and you dedicate that to the earnest pursuit of Jesus. And busy is all about distraction, right? Busy is all about you. Busy is all about what you need to do. Busy is all about uh, your mind being on any and everything, any other place than on God. Busy means I will keep my focus off God. 
you know, unless there's a catastrophe, right? And then I'll connect with you, God. Oh, then we'll be having a conversation right away. And I'm probably going to start with being angry at you, right? How could you let that happen? But when you take a slot of time, when there's not an emergency, and you choose to stop, and you choose to refocus and to, to reorganize and, to, and to, to see again just how dependent I really am on you, God. I need you. And as I do that, as I interact with you, I come out of that all covered in your presence. It's, it's like when I go there, I, w- I went into a place that was covered with flour in the air. And, and when I'm around you and, and, and I decide to allow you in, I'm, I'm different. I'm changed. I'm better. I begin to once again appear more like Jesus. For me, it's absolutely a greater awareness of the peace of God. That impacts me, but it also impacts everyone around me. When I intentionally spend time with God, I gain an increase in the essence of the Spirit, the essence that hangs on me like a beautiful perfume. And I am more kind, and I am more at peace, and I do experience greater joy, and I am more prone to exercise love and grace. My ability to endure and to overcome increases. My bent towards things of goodness becomes more tangible. My ability and my desire to be faithful, it manifests, it comes to life. I am more aware of the presence of the Spirit, and I am less aware of the presence of me. I'm more prone to godly conduct. My thoughts, my desires go towards Him. The mystical flow of life intensified and, and living is more about a groove and than less about an effort. The reward isn't that God will now say yes to all of my prayers. The reward is partially an uncanny assurance that God is both with me and in me. And now as I face uncertainty of the day, I have a peace, I have an assurance, I have a confidence, I trust that. I have a faith that God is with me, and that feels an awful lot like hope. Some of the other five faith catalysts, the things that that God uses to grow your faith, some of the rest, there's just not much you can do about them. Here's the arena where you can proactively engage with the Spirit of God. Let Him know that you're seeking Jesus. There are some other disciplines. There's many more. We were just talking about two today. There's many more that are on uh, the website. Again, intoone.ca. There's a private discipline section, and they can aid you in growing in your faith. These are disciplines. They are not one-shot deals. They are about the ongoing, earnest pursuit of Jesus, and the amazing grace of God works like this. Even if you begin the the discipline with a really kind of bad attitude, it can still benefit you. You can get into that habit, even as you're doing, to say things out loud like, God, I trust you with my life. God, I trust you with my wealth. God, I trust you with my time. And Oh, right, I just remembered, you already control all of my wealth and all of my time. But I want you to know, Jesus, I trust you. God sees that, and God uses that, and God will build your faith, and you can go on. You can keep reading this passage later this afternoon if you want. The next section is about fasting, and I'm going to let you, you know, look at that after lunch, right? I don't want you to start fasting too early. God says he will reward that one also. 
God says that he will reward individually and personally the men and the women who pursue him in these ways. Through these private disciplines of giving, prayer, and fasting. So to take the challenge, all right? Pick it as a month or, or two weeks or three months. You pick the timeline. Let me challenge you to try this out. Give him your first few minutes and your first few dollars. First few minutes of the day, first few dollars that you make. God, my faith, my confidence, and my hope is in you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your partnership with us. Thank you for your promise that you see us when we give and you see us when we pray. Not just see us, but, but you let us know that you understand that these are hard things for us to learn to do. So because you know it's hard when we do them, when we strive to put you first, you will, you have said, you promised, you would reward us. We are looking to grow in our trust of you. Holy Spirit, please work in us and grow our faith. We want to believe. Help our unbelief. Thanks, Jesus. Amen.